You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 129 is ready to go, and it's a big one, recapping National Signing Day of 2018, reviewing it here on Gators Breakdown. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC, and joining me the co-hosts Bill Sykes and Will Miles. You can find Bill on Twitter at RealBSykes and the founder of ReadingReaction.com, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Guys, uh, no lack of fun, no lack of worry, no lack of uh, uh, intensity, no lack of whatever the heck happened on National Signing Day. <laughs> Yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster, man. But this is what it's all about. You know, reinforcements are on the way. Uh, found out who the Gators are going to bring in uh, some in the spring and the rest coming in the fall to help out and uh, try to rebuild things back to where they once were and uh, establish some new Gator glory. So this is this is a really fun day, all things considered. Yeah, man, we had Chucky dolls. We had we had family members walking out after the announcements. We had uh, we had guys going to Nebraska and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. So, uh, very interesting time. It'll be interesting to talk about it tonight. It's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Isn't that right, guys? Is is that the, is it that the motto? If there is one, it sure as heck wasn't today. I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, people wonder how we can do a, a, a podcast on just Florida Gators football and days like this. Of course, I mean, National Signing Day it is. But just thinking of the things that happen, as you mentioned, mom walks off as Jacob Copeland makes his announcement, uh, trolling with Chucky Dawes, as uh, that was mentioned. It's, uh, there, there's plenty of drama when it comes to Florida football. Yeah, there's some pro wrestling similarities there. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! There we go. Had to, get, had to get the Ric Flair woo in. Yeah, that's that's how I was feeling once they finally uh, turned things around and brought a couple of those guys in to, to close strong late in the day. Because, man, I'll tell you, it got a little dicey there in the middle of the day. Yeah, it well, it was, well, it was kind of interesting because, you know, you, there were some expectations going in. And, I, you know, you go back and look at it and say, if Emory Jones had signed today, I think it's a whole <laughs> – at least for me, it's a whole different feeling. So it's it's weird having the early signing day and the late signing day and sort of trying to figure out how you're supposed to interpret and how you're supposed to feel about, about both of those combined because, really, it's a 2018 class. It's not one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I think – and one of the things we, we probably will try to separate uh, 
for our listeners tonight, for Gator fans, is you can get really caught up in that roller coaster and the moment, the way the moment feels, if it's trending down, if you get into a run of missing some recruits or if you get into a run of landing a couple of big-time recruits, depending on which of those moments you're in, you can say, oh, the class is feeling really good or feeling really bad. But we're going to try to help you take a step back tonight and look at it in the big picture not based on those moments or just today is signing day because you also had early signing day and say, okay, now that the dust has settled, who are they bringing in? Who did they, you know, how did that stack up against what Gator coaches have done in the past and in first year classes and, and versus the state of the program and help you to evaluate based on that bigger picture. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get into that. That brings a question I want to ask you guys too, uh, uh, pertaining to that uh, early signing day did throw a wrench in how we attack. Uh, signing day and if people actually want to go back and listen to uh what we thought about the uh the early enrollees that uh early enrollees and early signees that uh were brought, were brought about in december uh you can go find that episode uh that talks about those recruits but of course uh the big announcement with gators breakdown uh this week guys we're partnering with wjxt channel four news for jacks a place of my employment for a, uh, over a decade now and of course it's a, a tv station in jacksonville uh the number one station in jacksonville and, you know, it's, they, they've they been looking for ventures of, of getting into podcasting. And, look, I, I was already doing one uh, here at Gadget Breakdown, as everybody knows. And uh, they, you know, kind of found out about that. And they wanted to partner up and with Gators Breakdown. And let's look and partner up and get the word uh, of Gators Breakdown out there to the Jacksonville area, the Orlando area, uh, and more Gator fans. And I think that's, guys, you know, that's what we want. We want this to be out there for Gator Nation. Uh, we've built this thing uh, amongst ourselves uh, and it's gotten pretty big, but uh, now we have a, a, a media member uh, that can help us uh, at, you know, put it out even more to Gator Nation. And I can't be you know more excited uh, about that and, and partnering up with them. Yeah, me too. It's going to be great to uh, see where this goes and uh, reach out to more Gator fans to continue the dialogue that we've started on our own and, uh, now that they're partnering with us, I think we'll be able to bring more voices into the fold and hear more opinions, and I think we'll all be better for it. Yeah, and one of the things I think we really pride ourselves on is making sure that we're in contact with the fans and with our fans on Twitter and uh, and really interacting with you guys. So so certainly make sure that that keeps coming. And and for anybody who's new listening, that's something that we want to we wanna definitely do is interact with you guys and get your ideas and your thoughts and uh, and talk back and forth offline when we're, when the podcast is over. Yeah, and if you are new, this is what Gators Breakdown is. It's uh, we we pride ourselves on, on data driven analysis and in our opinions as well. You know, it's not just throwing a whole bunch of numbers and and hoping they uh, you know get retained uh, out there, but that's that's what we do here, and we back up our thoughts with uh, with numbers and stats and data. And you know, Bill, you kind of really you really enforce that when you come along about a year ago, and you know, I think we've taken a, a mold of that and and even furthered. Uh, for, further that thought and, and to be able to, to come up with uh, a pretty unique podcast, uh, you know, different, that's different than the, some other Gator podcasts out there. They don't uh, get to dive in like we do, you know, they do a good job as well, but we just uh, wanted to bring something different. And I think that's what we do. Sure. That, that's what we're going to do. We try to base everything uh, we say on fact, we want to back up our claims and, and we want to get you guys right to the core of the matter. Um, you know, whether you're a casual fan of Gator football and college football, because we do have rival fans that listen to, um, or you are more of an advanced person that kind of nerds out like I do on the numbers. We want to kind of have a broad appeal, but we want ultimately to make sure that if you're talking at the water cooler, if you're talking to your friends, 
that you're getting accurate information as best we can based on fact and you have the data to back up your, your opinions and then formula, formulating your own. You may not agree with us, but we always want to be truthful with you guys and we want to give you the, the straight truth based on the numbers. And we're, and we're not always right. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Dave. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, so definitely on newsforjacks.com, uh, they'll be creating a web page. It'll be newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll be able to find the podcast there. Um, you know, with uh, they'll be sharing it uh, amongst uh, uh, that website as well. But you can still always find it uh, on there, and they'll post the links as well. To and, and you guys, you're used to finding it. You'll still find it on the sites, the SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. Uh, whichever way you prefer. So plenty of ways to, to get Gators Breakdown. Also, remember, you can follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. When you're on iTunes, Google please, Google Play, please rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. Guys, I guess we'll just kind of start with how the day went. Uh, as you know, Bill mentioned, it was uh, a little disappointing morning. And then we get to the afternoon, and you know, I was trying to tell people to hold off. Let's see how the day ends. You know, we're not, I don't think Florida's going to uh, miss out on everybody that they're in the, in competition for for other schools. And that's pretty much uh, the way it turned out. But if you start in the morning, Caleb Tanner announced that he's going uh, to Nebraska. So that was the crystal balls were trending that way. Now, Auburn was in the running there. Uh, it was Nebraska in the end. And then come Nicholas Petit Friere. Uh, some Gator fans, uh, you know, most were disappointed. Uh, you know, I think. Uh, a lot of us were 50 50 on where he would go. And like I said on Monday, when we were talking uh, about where we were kind of predicting where these guys would go, I said, you know, I, I let my bias take over, but I, and I picked Florida, but I wasn't confident in, in that pick whatsoever. Urban Meyer uh, comes in, he Frere visits Ohio State this past weekend, the last visit weekend. Guys, it's no surprise with, and we, you know, us as Gator fans know it just as well as anybody that Urban Meyer was able to come in to the state of Florida and grab a five-star offensive tackle. Yeah, it shouldn't have been much of a surprise. I mean, and these things happen. I mean, sometimes kids are uh, just head out of state and they, they have their own reasoning. Uh, he liked the academic plan that it laid out for him. Uh, obviously, Urban Meyer's in the picture, like you said. I mean, this is not the the third you know five-star offensive tackle that, that Urban Meyer's landed. He does this with regularity. He pulls players from all over the country. It happens. You know, Mullen is, is up and running, but probably not at 100%. He's just getting started at Florida. So, um, you know, it happens. And at the end of the day, it's a good thing to be competing with Ohio State. So if you're in the final two with Ohio State on a lot of different guys then and you, and you start to get those guys to come to Florida, you're going to be better off for it. So, you know, you lose this battle, but you keep uh, you keep pushing ahead in the war, and that's what he's going to have to do in 2019 is Mullen's going to have to have four or five of these guys that he's going up against Ohio State with, and then you bring in two or three of those guys, and you got a really talented team because of it. Yep, not long after that, it was followed up by uh, the first good news of the day, Andrew Chatfield from down there in American Heritage. Commits and signs with the Gators, a uh, big-time pickup, a uh, position of need, I think, in this new 3-4 defense. Uh, you know, outside outside defensive end, outside linebacker, rusher. Uh, we'll kind of see how uh, he fits in here. Uh, but that's when the good news started for the Gators today, guys. Yeah, Chatfield, I really like his burst off the edge, his first step. I think he's a guy that can get in the backfield and disrupt as a 3-4 outside linebacker and, and maybe even drop into space at times. He's a guy that can disrupt in, in the way that Grantham, uh, the defensive coordinator of Florida, wants to do with his defense. And so I think he was an important piece. They needed some front seven help, and they got it in Chatfield. 
Yeah, and with some of the guys who Florida has coming back in terms of CC Jefferson and and other guys like that, having some flexibility between somebody who can who can put a hand down and be a defensive end or drop in coverage as a linebacker, both Jefferson and Chatfield sort of have that sort of ability. So you know you'll be able to put guys in in positions where they uh, where they have in a position of strength, um, and and sort of having that flexibility, and that's something Dan Mullen's been talking about a lot. Bill, you know where we're going next and who we're going with next, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nesta, yeah, you set the Twitter world on fire uh, Tuesday night, the night before National Signing Day. Uh, it got a little, I guess, uh, quote unquote, scary. Uh, that was the the word that was thrown out there. Yeah, I guess I should clarify what happened, right? Yeah, so <laughs> you know, you promised everybody you would look. We weren't going. To, the point of contention here was we weren't going to try and up upstand a kid making his commitment. So that that's kind of where you know it comes out where Bill's kind of vague with the information you were trying to share. Yeah, look the, for like the whole week, probably the last two weeks. You and I and Will, we we keep hearing this chatter about oh, Silvera's going to Florida. Silvera's going to Florida, and while we can't say that all the people that he told and it, it kind of fed back fed back to us who was being told this, it was people that are directly connected to the program in some ways and. And it, it was people that I believe Nessa Silvera was telling him this. Well, sure enough, last night, I, I was told and shown that some Chucky dolls were, were bought for the announcement of Chatfield and Silvera, their high school teammates. And they, the plan was that they were going to bring Chucky back to the program. And if you, in case you don't remember, uh, Chucky doll, like the movie, uh, Child's Play, the horror movie, uh, Dom Easley, the defensive tackle that played for Florida uh, years ago, came in the class of 2010 in the NFL, he used to carry around a Chucky doll. That was kind of his trademark. And then there was a short-lived tradition in the Will Muschamp years where he started passing that on to a defensive lineman. And so the idea was that they were going to bring that back. And they made the plan, bought the dolls. And last night, I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw some other things I can't divulge, but some, some communication uh, where they were saying Silver was coming in. And but I still, we, you you and I both know we we've just been so skeptical because we heard that Silvera was recruiting from Miami on his visit, and so we had this weird, conflicting information out there. And knowing that Silvera was visiting Miami late in the process, I just never could get on board, and that's why I didn't predict him to Florida on our show a few days ago because it just didn't seem like it added up before commitment. But I wanted to kind of pass that along to fans and 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 let them Gator fans know that. There's something going on here, but I said, I think the way I put it was, this may turn out to just be a rumor, but if this is not a rumor, it's going to be like the memory that we take from this class, because that would be huge to steal these two people. If they pull out the Chucky dolls, it'd be very symbolic and have some swag there. And then I put, the last word I put was scary. And that was kind of my hint about the Chucky dolls, kind of like the whole thing. <laughs> Um, and of course I took a lot of heat because I, and I am sensitive to people like this whole mystery recruit thing that never materializes and the, the fake buzz that people generate, but it was real, you know? And then sure enough, Silvera and Chatfield show up at their announcement with the Chucky dolls. But the thing is, is Silvera is still announced for Miami and it was kind of like half-hearted troll, but it was weirdly telegraphed. So I don't think anybody bought it at all. Right. And, um, but Chatfield did, he pulled out the Chucky doll. And I think it had a little gator hat or something. And he announced for Florida. So he was bringing it back. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the thing. Uh, that's how it went down. 
The Gators did go one for one on it. Chucky did come back. So it turned out to be true. <laughs> I don't know if it was an 11th hour decision by Silvera or if it was just a really weak troll attempt. Uh, and then it's like a lot of people kind of when, when they showed up and I told them, they're like, well, that's obvious he's trolling. I'm like, yeah, it is now that he showed up with the Dalton announcement, but beforehand when he was telling these other people, it wasn't so obvious. So that's the full story. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That was just, it was so, I mean, that's the kind of day we had. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. That, 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 was, that was signing day in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're done. We're done. Well, on, on, Unfortunately, Silvera's a really good player. Yes. <laughs> so, that, so, <laughs> so it would have been nice to have seen him in orange and blue, but obviously to get Chatfield as well is a big deal. So, uh, you know, hey, hey, Bill, we, we appreciate you passing it on and, and certainly not ruining the moment because, you know, it could have been a really cool moment for those guys, and that's the last thing we want to do. Yeah, I don't care where a kid goes. I'm, I'm not here to, to hurt somebody, you know, and that's their moment. They earned these, these announcements and, and it sure is heck a lot better than what Caleb Tanner did. I don't know if you guys saw that announcement. I mean, a little half-hearted troll with a Chucky doll doesn't hurt anybody, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, speaking of ruining the moment, uh, Malcolm Lamar, of course, Florida was in for it for him. Um, FSU and, and, and some other people out there kind of ruined his moment by putting out there that he was joining uh, FSU's program. Uh, and he kind of shouts, you know, shoots back out on Twitter. It's like, no, that's that, that's fake. Uh, <laughs> that's that's not happening. I think we all knew he was going to end up in FSU, but that is kind of what it that, that is kind of what happened. It was they upstaged the kid. Uh, ESPN did it, um, uh, and some others out there it didn't let uh, Malcolm Lamar have his moments. So I, ne- I never really thought he was coming to Florida, uh, but uh, it, it was e- even after he threw out the it's fake tweet. So <laughs> it's a uh, uh, it's just uh, another guy that Florida was in on uh, didn't get uh, in the end. He stays committed uh, or and goes to FSU uh, and Willie Taggart there. And then come the big disappointment, uh, the first big disappointment of the day of the morning. Noah Boykin, cornerback from Maryland, ends up signing with Notre Dame. Uh, there were you know a lot of rumors coming out like late last night and this morning that he may want to stick close to home. And Virginia actually got thrown into the mix there, not Maryland, who he was previously previously committed to. Uh, I still personally thought he would end up in the Florida class, even uh, as of this morning when those other uh, rumors started. But you know it does seem that that the rumor of him wanting to stay close to home actually wasn't true. He actually just ended up wanting to go to Notre Dame. Yeah, poor Virginia. They thought they were in that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they thought they were finally going to get a big-time recruit and not so much. <laughs> no. Go ahead. No, nah, I mean, you know, I, I think the the real downside to this is that Mullen didn't get any cornerbacks for this class. So mm-hmm. that was really where the Boykin disappointment comes in. Um, you know, he's he's ranked in the mid 300, so he's a he's a very good player, but he's it's not it, we didn't miss out on a top 30 player or anything like that. Um, certainly there were five cornerbacks who came in last year. Three of those guys were were considered were four or five star recruits. Um, but to, to but to miss and not have any corners for a class is 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 a significant thing. That is if Trey Dean can't play corner. Yeah, I, kinda, I think he's going to, yeah. I think he'll get a shot out there though. He's, you know, four-star DB that they flipped from, uh, he was a former t- Tennessee commit. Uh, they set in the early signing period. And, and so if he can't, then yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so that rounded out the morning and a lot of Gator fans were worried because uh, at some points also didn't, didn't sound good for Jacob Copeland, uh, Malik Langham, they started coming out late last night that he was a Florida lean, but look, when you're going head to head with Nick Nick Saban, you you never know what can happen. And Nick Saban put the full court press on, so it was a lot of 
look, Nick Saban's putting the full court press on Jacob Copeland. He's putting the full court press on Malik Lingham. Uh, you know, can we could we be at, can we see the guys that we're targeting in the afternoon not end up being Gators in this class end up being on signing day? Uh, kind of a disaster, you know, for that one day. Not overall, but for what was happening uh, on National Signing Day. So, but we do get to the point where Jacob Copeland does commit to the Gators. And his mom walks away as soon as he announced for Florida. Uh, walks in front of the camera, walks in front of everything ESPN was doing. Uh, I thought they put the kid in a bad spot by asking who that was and uh, all that stuff. And, you know, kind of making him ask or answer questions about what was going on with somebody walking off uh, walking off the table uh, that, the, that he was making his announcement at. But, you know, it was a big pickup for Florida. There was some questions if he was going to pick Florida over Alabama. And as I mentioned, you're know, going head-to-head with Nick Saban. Uh, for for a, a, a guy that he really wants. So we, we heard there was a lot of communication between Saban and Copeland uh, the last few days, putting the full court press on. But uh, this was a guy that was previously committed to Jim McElwain uh, and company. And this is a type of wide receiver now that I think can come in. And he's very versatile. You can put him anywhere, put him anywhere uh, on the field. You can have some reverses. You can put him in the slot. You can put him outside. You can put him downfield. I think this is a big-time pickup in many ways for Mullen because you beat Alabama for him, and he's just a good player in general. Well, heck, he's from Pensacola, Scambia High School, isn't he? And uh, that's yeah. Emmett Smith's high school, I believe. And, but it's a place that's been very unfriendly to the Gators over the years. And I, I think Trent Richardson went there, and they thought mm-hmm. they were going to get him. and never could. They, I mean, they caught Florida Bama down there for a reason. You know, it's uh, kids typically either go to Alabama or Florida State. It's just it's not Gator territory. Uh, and they went in there and got a, a really good inside-out weapon. He's a guy that can take carries in the backfield. He can line up wide receiver, like you said. He can touch the ball in a, new, in a number of ways. It's a guy that really, especially at the end of the day, the way things were going, Mullen had to have. And he was just a really nice rebound for the day and for the class. Um, he's a top 100 national player. So, and really, it, you, you mentioned the Alabama factor. He's one of several battles that that Mullen won versus Nick Saban this year, and I think that not only shows maybe a little vulnerability in in Saban right now, but uh, also some some big time chops for Mullen. And with all of the offensive struggles that Florida has had for geez eight years now, but particularly the last three years, you know, to bring in Justin Watkins, ranked 89th in the country, Jacob Copeland, 69th in the country, and then you've got transfers Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes, who were ranked 106th and 41st overall in the country as recruits when they were when they were committing. You know, really the wide receivers position at Florida has been just remade in the last two months under Dan Mullen, and for an offense that struggled and really has struggled to make big plays. To get the ball to guys in space, that that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good, good, Bill. Bill. Well, I was just going to say we, we kind of touched this on a little bit on the on the last show, but this is the the highest rated wide receiver group that Florida's brought in in the last ten years. In two thousand and eight, they um, they brought in Carl Moore, who was a junior college um, four star, T.J. Lawrence, the same Frankie Hammond and Omaris Hines. Those guys had a lot of talent. The problem is Florida stopped recruiting quarterbacks about that time under Urban Meyer. And, and I mean that sincerely. I think they had two years when they when they didn't recruit one. They had Cam Newton transfer out. And that and after that, they just really didn't bring in the, the high-rated quarterbacks at a very high frequency. And so those guys were, to me, largely wasted. And um, But here we are. Now we've got a blue-chip quarterback coming in, Emory Jones. You've got one on campus and in, in, in Franks, which we, we hope they can get you know his game turned around a little bit. Uh, but the weapons – in the passing game, had been reintroduced. You get a four-star Kyle Pitts uh, at, at tight end. Uh, not to mention they may get a little help out of the backfield from Iverson and Clement. And suddenly things are looking up as far as the weapons in the cover. 
Yeah, I agree. And I know we'll get into that more, but you really have to like the depth you have at wide receiver and running back to help whoever is uh, who, whoever is behind center um, uh, at the quarterback position. Then more good news comes. Richard Garage keeps his commitment to Florida uh, this afternoon. Uh, I, I really like this. You know, of course, Florida, we needed an offensive lineman after uh, Petit Friere decides not to come to Florida. But, you know, being able to – a guy that flirted uh, with Auburn and Clemson, two other big-time programs who can, who, uh, who uh, uh, of course, are bringing in recruits left and right, and especially, you know, Clemson, who really had a, a great class as well and really could have added to their class uh, with another big-time blue-chip prospect with, with Garage, and being able to, to – to beat a team who's been in the playoff the last three seasons and Auburn who really come on strong to give Florida some troubles uh, with some recruits that they were fighting for. And he come off of a visit uh, there as well. Uh, I just think it, it, it speaks to uh, Mullen to be able to, to, to go against the other big boys and, and keep a guy who was, you know, we didn't know how a lot of these guys who were early enrollees or early signees would take to Mullen when, when you get to go visit campus for the first time with the new staff. Garage was one of those guys. And it seems like there was enough there uh, to keep him close to home. There were. And uh, we really needed this. We needed Garage not only from the standpoint of you just put a top 100 national recruit on your roster that plays offensive tackle that's got the frame to grow out and be an all-SEC caliber player uh, in a position where you've been hurting for years and years and years. Uh, but you also really wanted to see Hevesy go out and and land a guy that was, like you said, you had to compete for other teams with him, a guy that everybody wanted, and show that he was going to be someone that could hold his own in recruiting after they got rid of Brad Davis, a guy that was generally well-liked by recruits. And so while this wasn't a gangbusters offensive line class, it's not, you know, uh, I don't think they got the pounces and mm. you know, Carl Johnson and, and some of these other types coming in, but Garage has that potential. Um, and that's not, hey, that's not to say that Griffin McDowell and, and Chris Blake and, and uh, Noah Banks, that's not to say that they're bad prospects. It's just to say that they didn't have the same prestige. But they did get that guy to show that maybe, hey, you know what, maybe Hevesy can get it done. And uh, they got four bodies there. Uh, McDowell was a guy that Mullen had previously evaluated. So it feels like they've got some guys they, they like in there. And I think, Will, you mentioned on the last show, Let's face it, Mississippi State's offensive lines have been better than Florida's as of late, so maybe Hevesy knows what he's doing, huh? Yeah, well, and it's, it's also important to note that the Pounceys didn't come in Urban Meyer's first year. And so when you're really analyzing these classes, I do think you need to take that into account, that if you look back at Urban Meyer's team in 2005, there were certainly some starters who came in on that, but you're talking about Ryan Stamper, David Nelson, Lewis Murphy, um, guys like that, Keiston Moore, those are the guys who came in in that class. The guys we remember that Urban Meyer brought in, those real, real high-level recruits, those guys all came in in 2006, 2007, and 2008. And so we do need to keep that in, in mind when we're analyzing this and saying, okay, who did he bring in? I mean, a guy who's ranked 89th in the country at left tackle is a really good asset. That's somebody that you want on your team and you want to add those guys all year long. And, um, you know, every year, anytime you have an opportunity to add somebody, add somebody of that caliber, you want to add them. This is, this is not settling. He's a really good player. Yeah. And especially when you missed out on Petit Frere and, and Barnes and Montalus there, uh, you, you had to get one of these high profile offensive linemen that come from your home state. They do. And this is probably a good time. Just, just to remind our, uh, 
our new listeners, you'll, you'll hear us talk about star ratings and talk about high profile, high ranked recruits. And I know a lot of people have differing opinions on that, uh, but we've done quite a bit of research and you can kind of go back through past episodes or you can reach out to us on Twitter if you'd like, and we can point you to some of those specific episodes where we found some scientific <laughs> links to our study and, and correlations between higher star rankings and, and success, both in the NFL, making teams like all ICC and winning national championships. So we'll present the data and based on that, with that being assumed. Um, but yeah, they, they got a guy, like you said, he's a four-star uh, tackle. He's a, an 81st best player in the country. The seven, one of the top 10 offensive linemen in the country. Mm-hmm. He's a foundation, a cornerstone for your offensive line as you look to rebuild this offense. A lot of people probably saw me tweet. I retweeted this today. Mullen is the first coach in modern Florida history, in the post Spurrier era, since the advent of star rankings. He's the first one who, in his first class, brought a four star quarterback in, a four star running back, a four star wide receiver, a four star offensive lineman, and a four star tight end. You want to fix an offense? That's a great way to do it. Heck, I think the only position on the team that they didn't bring one in is defensive tackle. Uh, of course, they had a three-star kicker, but kickers are never rated four-star. So just about every position on the team we've seen blue chip or what we mean by that is four- and five-star talent come into this roster this year. This is excellent news. Yep, and at the end of the day was uh, the big surprise. You know, I didn't think uh, – I like this guy as a prospect. He visited Florida and, then, and had a really good visit a couple weeks ago. Uh, Malik Langham, defensive end out of Alabama, out of the state of Alabama, uh, was – thought to be an Alabama lean for the last couple of weeks, even after visiting Florida. Uh, then the rumblings uh, a couple of days or yesterday on Tuesday, the day before National Signing Day, is you started seeing some crystal balls and, and some talk that Langham was really strongly looking at Florida and he maybe have even let the coaches know on Tuesday Saban puts the full court press and you know, maybe put some doubt in his head. And there was some worry in the morning, but as the day went on, uh, you started hearing more and more that Langham uh, would be a Gator, and he signs, uh, you know, in the afternoon around three three thirty. I think uh, Mullen's press conference was scheduled for three three thirty, but he delayed it. I think just you know before uh, he or after he could find out what Langham was going to do. And, and this was the one I think you know on the defensive side of the ball, what Nick Saban's known for, what Alabama's known for. You go and get a high profile commit out of or a, a high profile prospect out of that state against Nick Saban uh, sends a sign. And I, and I like the way the kid plays. I think he can play the run good. I think he plays the pass good. I think he's a guy you can move all over this defensive line and somebody who would, uh, I think, you know, looking at what Nick Saban wants to do, you were able to pull him away from the best college football coach ever. Yeah, I think this has less to do with pulling him away from Saban and more to do with they really needed a defensive lineman. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago talking about teams that build top five offenses and teams that build top yeah, five defenses. Yeah. And it was really clear when you looked at the recruiting rankings of those defenses that the strength of all of those defenses was on the defensive line. The secondary strength of those defenses was at linebacker and then you know, the corners, there was less correlation with the secondary than there was anywhere else on those defenses. And so defensive linemen are critical. And this is the only one really that's been signed at this point, unless Dorian Gerald comes in, who, who's going to be committing on Friday, I guess. But, you know, he's the only defensive lineman. I guess you could, Chatfield's a little bit of a tweener, but he's not necessarily a defensive end Um, um you know specifically, so I, I think it's a big deal to bring in to bring in a blue chip quality guy at defensive line because that's where you build teams that win in the SEC is on the offensive line, on the defensive line, and you know Mullen brought in four offensive linemen in this class, but this was the only defensive lineman. 
He's the only big body defensive lineman. Chatfield, yeah. I think, is a guy that's like 6'1, 6'2, 220. He might max out 245 or something and come off the edge, you know, and it'd be a very good player. But as far as the, the beef, you know, that, that's Langham. He's a guy that's about 6'5, 270, I think, 265. You know, I've even seen a few comments where they said he could maybe grow into an elite left tackle. He's just that, he's got that big of a frame, but he moves his feet well. He can play defense, especially as a 3 4 defensive end. Uh, the kid is, you know, very, he's very, he comes off very intelligent. Just, you know, I've heard him talk, and I think this guy is the real deal, personally. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you went into you went into Alabama, and you took a guy that Auburn and Alabama actually wanted. And not in the sense that they circled back around late, who we saw that a couple times in their McElwain. Got some good players out of Alabama. But not those guys where Nick Saban said, this is my guy. I want this guy. Mullen went and got him. And, you know, when you hear him talk, I think – now, I, I will go on a tirade about academics and how people misunderstand what recruits mean by that. Normally, they mean um, the ability of a school to keep them qualified and lay out an individual tutoring path and a way to help them succeed after football. But this guy was like, oh, wait, Florida is like second best in the SEC behind Vanderbilt. And he actually <laughs> meant it like fans meant it. And I'm like, man, this guy's like, he's thinking long term about his business career and he's got maybe an elite NFL left tackle, but he's got defensive end feet. I'm like, sign me up, man. This guy's <laughs> going to be perfect for Grant. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. Uh, what's, you know, what He visited Florida, and I looked at his tape, and I was like, man, this, if, we, if there's any way we could pull this guy away from Alabama, you know, let, you know, we need to do it. And I was just really surprised that, you know, that it, that it could happen. I just going back the last couple of weeks, I didn't, you know, we didn't hear anything. We heard he had a nice visit, uh, and that was really it. But besides that, uh, when it was, you know, we were putting mock classes together and uh, all that good stuff. I didn't even have him on the list because I didn't really think it was possible. Yeah, I mean, we had Caleb Tanner. I had Caleb Tanner in mind and, and Caleb Johnson. And Johnson, I, I, you know, was a little bit of a loss. He went to Auburn. But, um, you know, I like this guy. I like Langham better than Tanner. That's not oh, sour yeah. grapes. I just – he's got a bigger frame. I think he can – be a, a more disruptive force and, and be a little more versatile, bring that beef that, that they need on that defensive line. I think he was a tremendous pickup. I agree. So, guys, when it's all said and done, after early signing day and national signing day, Florida ends up with the 14th-ranked class on the 24-7 composite, a total of 19 signees, 12 four-stars, and seven three-stars. Uh, Gators have fourth-ranked class in the SEC, and that's the highest ranking in the SEC since 2013 when they ranked second. So if you go by average recruit rating, the Gators are ranked 11th in the nation with a score of 90.69. That's one spot behind Florida State there. So not bad in Dan Mullen's first cycle of recruiting for the Gators. Uh, now, this still includes safety Randy Russell in the rankings. Uh, he won't play football ever again, but it doesn't also include the transfers, Trayvon Grimes and Van Jefferson uh, that you know, Dan Mullen uh, brought in there. So the recruiting rankings do not factor those guys in, but we know those two guys definitely make this roster better, as we uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, yes, there were a few disappointments, but uh, you know, not too bad when you go back and look at how this compares to recent recruiting and recent transition classes. Now, those are not the barometers moving forward, but it should be kept in mind when looking at this 2018 class. Yes, that's right. Look, when we say transition class, uh, if you've never heard that term before, basically what we're talking about is Dan Mullen just got on the job. I mean, he's new on the job. He's only been there a couple of months, and he's competing against coaches that have been established. They've got their their network of their coaching staffs and their secondary staffs and their 
the relationships with coaches and recruits that they've been building for years in some in most cases. And so he's he's got to rebuild that, reestablish. He's setting up his program, got everything else going on. And so he's kind of winging it, you know, trying to figure out which kids are receptive on short notice, which ones he wants on short notice. And so what you see in transition or those first year short time classes, those part where you have a partial year to recruit, they're always worse. They're always worse. And that's why, you know, Urban Meyer, for all of his top classes in the country at Florida, his worst one was his first year. As a matter of fact, every coach in the post Spurrier era, their worst class was their first year. That was true of Zook. That was true of Meyer. That was true of Muschamp. That was true of McElwain. And I would guarantee you uh, that that will be the same for Mullen. It's going to go up from here. Um, but he still put together the 14th in the nation. And it was a, and while we're going to break down the stats on that, um, it was a good effort. I think it, I think a lot of it depends on how you want to break it down. I mean, I agree with you that the that this class is uh, is I think it's better than the predecessor certainly in terms of McElwain's transition class. I think there are ways to say that it's better than Zook Meyer and Muschamp. I think there are ways to say that it's worse than Zook Meyer and Muschamp, um, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, Urban Meyer obviously had some success, um, and then it sort of comes down to what come what what ends up what the product ends up on the field because that's you know a lot of Meyer's success was springboarding that first nine and three year into that recruiting class he brought into 2006 so we'll see what we'll see what Mullen can do in that capacity yeah but you mentioned how there are some ways to present it as well and look for all of you out there I guess I seem like I'm pumping the sunshine a little bit. Um, I'm not. I'm going to give you both sides of this tonight because I've got some some concerns as well and if we're honest with ourselves not only can we have we we can't put a final grade on this because these guys haven't seen the field and we have to see how they're developed and how they coach and how they show up out there. But we also, even just from a purely on paper recruiting standpoint, we have to see how he assembles classes in the future. This is one class of guys that haven't seen the field yet. So it's going to be an incomplete grade for me. However, when I look at the numbers and compare it to past transition classes at UF, I, like you said, I see this is the first UF transition class uh, with the blue chips, all the positions I mentioned. Uh, it's the highest average composite player rating of any UF transition class with that point is 9.069. It ties for the most national top 100 recruits in a UF transition class with four. It's only one shy of Urban Meyer's 2005 transition class um, of nine national top 250 players. And McElwain only had three. So we've almost tripled that top 250 talent compared to what McElwain started out with. And then um, – Lastly, 12 blue chip recruits. Now, these were all four stars. There were no five stars, which that's one of my concerns. It ties 2011 for the most in any transition class. So we see factual data that says, hey, you know what? Despite all the problems around UF football the past few years, Mullen is hitting some benchmarks and doing some things as good as anybody has in recent history as it pertains to this first recruiting class. And if you look at average national rank, Zook, the average national rank was 345. Meyer was 266. Muschamp was 277. McElwain was 477. And now Mullen's 264. So 264 for Mullen, 266 for – that's the average national ranking for all the recruits in the class. So in Meyer's class, he had 17 total commits and average 266 for the national ranking. Mullen, 19 commits, 264. So more commits and a little bit better average national ranking than Urban Meyer's first class. But certainly if you look at top 300 talent, um, Meyer brought in 15 of those guys and Mullen only brought in 10. So there's a disparity there. But you already mentioned the, the four top 100 guys that he's brought in. My concern with the class has more to do with just balance 
defense. Um, you know, obviously the offense at Florida has been has been problematic, but and and that's certainly been addressed, I think, with some of the things that Mullen has done. But I'm really concerned about the idea that there are four safeties, and you mentioned Trey Dean may end up being a corner, but there's four safeties. Two of those guys are blue chips. No corners. There's two linebackers. Both of those guys are blue chips, and then the defensive lineman Lang- Langham that we talked about is the one blue chip on defense. So really, you know, you're talking seven players on defense out of a out of a 19 player class. It's offense heavy, and in a in a situation where last year. Defensive line was a was an area of emphasis for McIlwain, but he, he signed four linebackers last year, but none of them were above three star rating, and they were relatively low rated three stars. And then there was also a two a two star there with uh, Lysedrick Brunson. Doesn't mean they're bad players; it just means you know that was an area where I was really looking for some emphasis on the defensive side of the ball, and and that wasn't something that we saw. Yeah, when you look at it and, and you break it down here, you have, and I'm just trying to look at you know what. You look at the best of the best, and Evan McPherson's looked over because he's a kicker. But they signed the top-rated kicker in the nation. They signed five players that were top ten in their positions, and thirteen that were top twenty in their positions. So when we talk about making the roster better, as we mentioned, the the, uh, uh, the commit list just in, in general, there were twelve. Um, I believe it was twelve four stars. Was that was uh, that's right. That, yeah, 12 four-stars. And then you also brought in the transfers, Grimes and Jefferson as well, to add two more to that. So in Dan Mullen's short time, he's added 14 four-star guys um, and, or 14 blue-chip guys that, you know, it just you would hope it, it, the percentage there of the roster is slowly – if you can – we're talking about going to the second class and the second class being better than the first class. You hope after the first two classes that the blue chip percentage goes up even more. And I think, you know, starting with five players that were top 10 in their positions and 13 that were top 20 uh, in their position, I think that speaks to this roster is getting transformed while it may be transformed slowly, more slow than some of the rivals out there. And I know, I know we'll we'll take a peek at that as well. You know, I think we've kind of noticed that we've, we've mentioned this before with this first class and this first transition class, it needs to be about more needs to be about more uh, more about what Florida can do and then we'll move and worry about you know when Mullen can get more relationships uh built uh, uh, in the state of Florida on the recruiting trail you know just worry about Florida for year one and then go you know uh, uh all out in, in year two and because and look he went after some big 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 time guys and he maybe he went after him early in, in year one and so what well, I mean Yes, you can kind of blame him for, you know, maybe striking out a little bit. But look, he was going after some big fish, and he hit on a couple, or missed on a few, hit on a few. Uh, but I think when all said and done, I, I just like when you when you bring in that many four stars. Yes, and Bill, I know you said you were kind of disappointed with the five star, and I was too. And the only one they were really in for was Petit Frere. But when it's all said and done, uh, I'll say I'm I'm happy with the class. Yeah, I am too for now. And I know we're going to talk about what needs to happen, you know, a little bit later on with 2019. But again, when you look at the transition classes, you just you can't judge uh, Mullins, his own recruiting ability based on the first class. You can't do that in the positive or the negative. But what you can do is say, okay, as a program, as an injection of talent, you know, just like when you're watching the Olympics and they're showing the world record pace. You know, and you're watching the rudder, the ice skater, or whatever, whether they're keeping up or the swimmer. Well, we, it's only one lap because it's year one, but we can kind of do that and say, well, where have the, the great coaches and the, and the bad coaches 
fit in here. The problem is, is we've seen Muschamp's transition class do better than, than Myers, you know? And, and so obviously, even though it was better, Meyer had a much better career at Florida. And, and that, that goes to show you that it takes coaching and recruiting. And that's something we affirm wholeheartedly. It takes both. Uh, but the good news in that, seeing how Mullen has built his staff, how he's emulated some of the things Meyer's done, bringing guys he trusts and, and having a heavy influence of his, of his previous staff they brought from Mississippi State, and now seeing his recruiting. I know a lot of people were upset that they only brought in 19 total guys and they had some spots. Well, Meyer only brought in 17. You know, so I, I like that. That's one thing that's a similarity. I like that we saw him bring in about the same number of top 250 guys and top 300 guys that are coming in there. I like it because it shows that neither one of them really wanted to take those reaches and just bring bodies to fill spots like we saw both Muschamp and McIlwain do. So is it going to end up the same? Is Mullen going to have the same type of success? Is this one class enough to say, hey, we're on pace with the world record. We're going to see this guy win national championships like Meyer did. No, we're not. But to me, it's a little bit comforting. It's lap one. And so I'm saying I see enough here that I'm certainly not hitting the panic button. And I see enough here that gets me excited for next season. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the press conference that Mullen had after the after National Signing Day, and he talked specifically about not taking guys just to take guys, that they wanted to take guys that they had identified, fit the program, fit what they wanted, both from an attitude perspective and a talent perspective, and that they were comfortable leaving open spots. And that's something, you know, that next year when they recruit, you, you saw Georgia this year sign 26 guys. Well, one of the reasons they were able to do that is they they were able to count some of those early enrollees back to, 20, to the 2017 class. So now Florida has that ability to count back two or three guys from this class, depending upon who comes in, um, if they want to bring in transfers, if they want to sign guys who are higher ranked next year. So they do have that possibility. But just like I said, it's a little bit of one and it's a little bit of the other because, you know, the other thing that Mullen said that stood out to me during his press conference was that, you know, you win on the offensive and defensive lines and, and really up front in both sides. And so, um, you know, in that capacity, he brought in five guys. Only two of those guys are blue chip quality. But again, there's positive as well, because if you run down the whole list of all of the all of the positions, there's a blue chip quarterback, a blue chip tight end, two blue chip running backs, two blue chip wide receivers, a blue chip offensive line, two blue chip safeties, two blue chip linebackers and a blue chip defensive lineman. The only place where there isn't a blue chip player is cornerback and there wasn't a cornerback recruit. <laughs> so, you know. He's filling up all the spots with talent. I do think it's a little bit skewed on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, if there weren't defensive players out there who specifically wanted to come play for Dan Mullen and who fit his system, then he clearly is comfortable saying, you know, we'll wait till next year. Bill, I know you got this, and you call it the master spreadsheet. And, <laughs> and, and you did it before you even, you know, were a part of this podcast. You know, like I said, recruit, following recruiting, and you've mentioned on here too, is it's been a passion of a passion of yours uh, talking about and, and following uh, the kind of trends that, that we see in recruiting. And, of course, you know, you go back to then, and it's pretty much when Ron Zook took over Florida, and that's when recruiting services really started getting popular as well. And you, and, you know, going back to then, you know, recruiting services have changed the way they rank players and the way they rate players. Uh, you know, they're trying to come up with the perfect formula uh, throughout the years. But uh, you know, as far as you know, this class goes, and, and you know, of course, we're not going all the way back to 2002 year by year. Uh, and most of it is really speaking to these transition classes. But you know the can can fans be happy with what happened today 
uh, or, or actually just to explain good and bad, uh, going back to 2002, what this as an overall class and a transition class can we look forward to? Well, as a trans transition class, like we've mentioned, you, you see, even though we don't see the, the absolute elites there, and I'm very concerned, Florida hasn't landed a five-star uh, player since 2015. And, and that is a, a three-cycle drought now that is unprecedented in the history of these rankings at the University of Florida. It's got to stop. And think about yeah. that. You're in the state of Florida where there's a ton of five-stars. Yeah, you're talking about the cream of the crop, top 25, 30 guys each year. And I think Georgia had like, what, seven or eight? Yeah. You know, those guys, I think we, I can't remember the exact numbers and it's on our past episode, but they, they make all SEC at Florida, I think about between 33% and 50% of the time. I mean, they just have a huge impact. That's your Tim Tebow's, your Percy Harvin's, your Brandon Spikes, um, those type of guys. Um, so they're the ones that, that change programs. Um, Tua Tagliova at Alabama that came and won the national championship game. You got to have those guys. Nobody's winning national championships without them. Um, it, so that's got to change. But even so, the amount of those four stars, those top 100, top 250 players that are that are coming in, it's so much more than we saw under McElwain. I mean, they, they tripled that from his first year. Um, things are are getting back to normal. When we compare those transition classes, we see semi-elite talent coming in large numbers like it always has at Florida. We see uh, rankings that are are very comparable to what those successful coaches have done in those best years at Florida. So this is a good start in a lot of metrics. Um, on the bad side, you know, Florida averaged, I think it was between 2002 and 2013. When you compare their ranking against the ranking national rankings of Tennessee, Florida State, and Georgia, that's their three principal rivals. And these days a lot, a lot of people would throw LSU in there they averaged on a given year 2.08. Uh, and out of those 14 years, nine of those years, they were either first or second among those four schools. So they were recruiting better in most years than Florida State, Georgia, and Tennessee, or maybe second. They were right there at the top. But since McElwain has uh, showed up, it's fallen to an average of 3.33 a year, and they've had five straight finishes of either fourth or third. That's got to change. Because, yes, it takes coaching, but it takes talent, too. And right now, the, the, the money games for Florida, they, they are not recruiting as well. And that was only third this year. However, I'm going to counterbalance that. Transition averages, and that includes Meyer, that includes the, that includes Muschamp and all those guys, are 3.6. So even though third is not necessarily good enough, it's right in line. And it kind of once again goes back into that fact of, hey, we see the talent. But we also see some teams ahead of them that we don't, we're not comfortable with. They're definitely being outpaced by a few teams that they need to catch up to. But there's enough here to say, okay, there's some good pieces coming in. We see good process from Mullen. We see him behaving like a big boy coach. We see some of the results we want to see. And in my opinion, we've got enough to feel like we might have something going here. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to see from this class is probably what you see from most transition classes, which, I mean, if you look back at 2011, uh, Muschamp had 19 commits, 13 of those guys saw playing time, and eight of, eight of the guys ended up being starters. And that's probably what you can imagine, what you think you're going to see. But those starters were Jeff Driscoll, Marcus Roberson, Jacoby Brissett, Jabari Gorman, Liches Parafoy, Trip 
Trip Thurman, Deontay Saunders, Hunter Joyer, guys like that. So nobody that we're talking about who's a transcendent player. Um, and to your point, Bill, most of the time those transcendent players, the guys you remember who play three years in a elite for three years are the guys who come in and are five-star guys. So, you know, you look at 2012 for Muschamp, the guys who came in were DJ Humphreys, Jonathan Bullard, Dante Fowler, Brian Poole, uh, Marcus May, Matt Jones, Latroy, or I'm sorry, Damian Jacobs. So guys who were, and Antonio Morrison. So guys that we remember as real difference makers are the guys who came in in the second year. And so that's really what we're going to be looking for. For uh, that's really what we're going to be looking for for Mullen is you know let's get let's this is really a depth class. Um, to sort of bridge the gap between the coaching change. I would not expect somebody to come out and win a Heisman Trophy out of this. If they do, obviously, that's great. But that's not what my expectations would be. My expectations would be you're going to get somewhere between seven to nine starters. They're going to be solid players. And when next year's class comes in, then you're going to have really, really elite talent coming in to supplement, supplement the guys who are who are already there. Um, the other thing I would say is just from the standpoint of the, of the uh, um, competition – you look at Georgia averaging a, over the last four years, they've averaged fourth nationally, 2.8 in the conference, 17 and a half blue chips. Florida has averaged 14 and a half nationally, 6.3 in the conference, nine blue chips. Um, and so Georgia has double the starters <laughs> that Florida does. And that's just a reality. And I think that's where some of my disappointment comes with not getting some of these really, really high-level talents like Petit Frere or Nesta Silvera is you really need those guys to compete. And it wouldn't have it wouldn't have skewed these numbers at all, right? So Florida State is 5.8 nationally with 14.3 blue chips. Tennessee is 13.8 with 9.8 blue chips over the last four years. All three of those teams have more aggregate talent than Florida over the last four recruiting cycles. Um, and and so you know the the a, a commitment from Silvera or Petit Frere would have really sort of just said these are the types of guys Mullen's going to bring in, and that's where some of my disappointment comes in. I, I I think based on history, this transition class is right in line with some of those other coaches who've done a really good job in the second year at Florida uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, you know, and I think that's probably what we'll see next year. Hey, you know, one thing you 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 mentioned and it kind of made me think. You are absolutely right about how when you have these transition classes, a lot of them don't pan out. And I think that there's several reasons for that, but part of it is because in in some ways you're dealt the hand that was given to you by your predecessor. Like McElwain had recruited a lot of these kids and they had committed and, you know, Mullen can't blow up the whole class. And that's not to say they sh it should have been because some of those are good players that they brought on board that he kept, but they may or may not have been good fits and you kind of have to take what you can get. And, you kind of have to scramble to find players that not only fit your system, but that are willing to either stay on board uh, and you could have kind of a square peg and round hole situation or find guys elsewhere. that are just willing to come in. And so you don't have the luxury of handpicking and recruiting for a year or two years. And so that's why I'm number one, not a huge fan of loading up in these transition classes, because like you said, you waste, waste scholarships, you tie up uh, start, uh, scholarships for next year when you can have a bigger class after you have had that time. But it's also why I'm kind of a big fan of leaning on more transfers because at least then you're taking known commodities, guys that in many cases have put college tape uh, together, like you saw with Van Jefferson. I'm not sure how much Trent, uh, Trevon Garams has got, but again, he's a guy that's a year out of school. They've had, you know, pre-existing relationship probably in recruiting he, he knows who he is and so I would rather him come in and take a guy that is a known college commodity in some cases than scramble and take a guy that might be a bad fit but he's a guy you could convince as a high school player to commit so that's why I'm not 
uncomfortable with either the transfers or the smaller class size. Yeah, you know, we've done a lot of talking about the transition class, but also just kind of overall, you know, just overall uh, for the class and Florida. You know, can is there some valid excuse for Dan Mullen and, and missing out on some guys because he followed Jim McElwain and he followed a, a four and seven season. He's followed a, a, a he's following coaches Muschamp and McElwain who haven't been able to put an offense uh, on the field. You know, Florida's hasn't been excited to watch on the football field for, for a long time. You know, is, is Dan Mullen fighting uh, the reputation of Florida on the recruiting trail? You know, a lot of people say, well, good recruiters are good recruiters. And, you know, most of the time I'm a no excuses type of type of guy and type of fan. But, you know, sometimes there are valid excuses when you are a, a brand new head coach, you are having to, you know, pick up the pieces from the what the previous staff left and and trying to shed a reputation that, you know, Florida can't get, get it done on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Mullen really has to prove uh, that uh, on the field, uh, at least, that he can get something out of this talent. And I think once you start getting done on the field, it makes it easier on the trail. Now, I still there is some truth to a good recruiter is a good recruiter. Uh, but he can help himself with some results – uh, on the field in 2018 for the 2019 class. So I think overall uh, as well, I see you know, that there are some fans who are disappointed on missing out on some of the big guys in Petit Frere, uh, you know, talking about the five-star and Silvera uh, losing him to Miami. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it, it, there are excuses of missing out on, on big-time talent um, when you're following something that didn't go so well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make excuses, and I'm 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 disappointed that those guys didn't come in. At the same time, I do think we need to remember that it was 2009, the last time Florida scored any points. Yeah. And so, so, if you're an offensive player and you're thinking about going to a school anywhere near the state of Florida, why? You know, you were nine years old the last time they they did anything that you know the, the last time they lit up the swamp. And so, you know, I can understand why some of those people are saying, "Hey, you got to show me before I'm going to make a decision to come in there." At the same time, Emory Jones has decided to come. Um, he convinced a lot of the people that McElwain had already had um, sort of in tow to come, and that you know that he convinced Garage to stay on. So, um, on the offense side of the ball, I think he actually did a really good job in terms of bringing people in, um, which is maybe why that's not that doesn't quite hold as much water as you might think, just because it was the defensive side of the ball that he struggled to bring in um, recruits all the way across the board. It's a little, like I said earlier, it's about, it's more tilted toward the offensive side of the ball, but then again, that may be what we need just because because mm -hmm. <laughs> of all the struggles that there have been over the last you know nine years. I want to say this too, guys, and, and somebody actually requested that I say this tonight, and I, I think they're going to make a good point. If you counted Trevon Grimes and uh, Van Jefferson, the two wide receiver transfers they had in there, part of that four-man, four-star you know, quartet we talked about, if you counted them in the rankings, Florida's got a top-ten class. And while I, I know that you could counter and say, well, we don't know who everybody else has brought in, I seriously doubt any of those schools have two transfers that were you know, a top 50 and a top 100 Mm -hmm. recruit there and and plus a lot of them do count if they come from a junior college and transfer to your school they are in the rankings so i think it's a very valid thing to do just understanding there is a possibility that somebody out there has a transfer we can't account for um, and, and if they did count right now and this was sitting at the number nine class the narrative is entirely different at that point and, and this may even be considered somewhat of a national story if they were signing letters of intent today and it it would be far away the the, the the best transition class Florida sign. So 
I think there is a lot of positive here. Yes, the fact that the talent gap continues to widen because of what George is doing and you know what Alabama has done and how Florida State looks like they – hey, let's face it, I think Willie Taggart's going to do well in recruiting there. Um, they, Florida's got to get some elite talent in there. They've got to get the roster back up to where it can compete at an elite level. Uh, so overall, yes, it's got to get better. Here's the good news. Uh, every uh, new coach at Florida – who's had these lower rated transition classes has seen an increase in their second year class. We call that the bump year. There's always a hype that surrounds that second year for a new coach because he can sell his vision and talk about how great it's going to be. And he hasn't taken a loss on the field yet. <laughs> you know, it's, it's still fresh in their mind. There are those excuses because the data is not out there to condemn them. So the classes always get better. And they have improved in every case of a new coach in recent Florida history by seven spots in the national rankings. So if you are 14, you went next year, your class was at least ranked seventh. Uh, and it averages 8.5 spots improvement per year. So we can expect that with this 14th class, Dan Mullen's probably going to end up with about the seventh best class in the country, give or take a spot or two. And is that going to be enough to catch Georgia? Probably not unless they get that transcendent quarterback and Emory Jones turns out to be that guy or they find that guy next year. But it is definitely a step in the right direction. It's getting back to normalcy and recruiting for Florida. And in my opinion, that's what they have to worry about for now. I don't care if they had Nick Saban and Urban Meyer coaching this year. They weren't going to beat Georgia on the recruiting trail. It just wasn't going to happen in year one. And need to take a few years to get this going. We have to see dramatic improvement, but I believe we – possibly can in the next two or three years. Yeah. And I think there's a, you know, the, the discouraging part is Florida brought in 10 top 300 players and Georgia brought in 12 top 100 players. <laughs> and that's where you really start to see the gap between the two teams. I mean, basically Georgia probably brought in 14 starters or something today. When you look at it over, over the amount of talent they brought in. However, if you go back and look at 2016, Kirby smarts, first class, he brought in 14 blue chip guys and he supplemented that with quite a few three stars to sort of raise their ranking up around seventh or eighth. But in his transition class, he brought in 14 blue chips. And if you count Grimes and Jefferson in Mullen's transition class, he's brought in 14 blue chips. So, you know, again, I, I look at that and I see that gap with Georgia and that's a problem. But it's a transition class, and you can't hold him to that standard. If you look at it from just purely a star ranking or like a 24-7, um, you know, 0.9013, whatever it is, rating that 24-7 does where they actually have decimal places to rank people, Florida's third in the SEC. They're behind Alabama and Georgia. Those are the two teams that they're behind. And so they're going to have to close that gap, definitely. But, you know, they're third in the SEC. That's not bad, particularly in a transition year. Yeah, guys uh... – Hey, we've been going for a little while here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at the players that they brought in. And I guess, you know, we have to kind of go back to the uh, early signing day period too. Uh, but guys who can make an impact uh, early, you know, of course, you know, we've seen the, the struggles on the field uh, and, you know, Florida can use an infusion of talent uh, on the field uh, to get some better results. We mentioned the depth they have at wide receiver and not running back. But we just need some help on the offensive line. But we know quarterbacks at – talked about ad nauseum. Uh, we know the fix that needs to be there. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, is there a, a guy or two that you're really looking forward to from this freshman class that you're looking forward to seeing overall or actually even make an impact early? 
I'll let you have the first one, Will. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go a little bit off the off the board here. I think the I think probably the most important guy of the class for next year is is either Noah Banks or Chris Blake. There there were really some issues at guard last year for Florida, and just being able to they're three star guys. They're not you know top 500 players, but at the same time, the depth in the offensive line to be able to bring in competition there to have solidified guard spots or to be able to move Martez Ivy into guard because Garage is playing tackle. That's really where I think Mullen wants to go. He wants to run the ball. He runs the ball more than 50% of the time. Um, he's going to have a quarterback back there who runs in some capacity. I just think that the offensive line is where we're going to need to see the step up, and, and, and hopefully one of those guys can really help solidify those guard spots. Yeah, that's interesting. It may be a place where transfer John DeLance could come in and help as well. Uh, because if he can step in a tackle, and like you said, Ivy can slide down the guard, that would really, really help because you're right, guard has got to get better. Yeah, I guess if you guys for a playmaker, uh, I'm still I'm still looking at Damian Pierce, even though running back is stacked. I think he's the the, the special talent uh, at running back. My worry is he has a lot of yards on him uh, coming out of high school. I mean, his high school team ran him into the ground, uh, but you know he he did he and he did it well. Don't get me wrong, he had some some great stats. Uh, if you go back and look at it, you know even there up there was Zamir White who committed to Georgia, big five star. A lot of people were wondering why Pierce isn't valued as a five star, uh, comparing it to him playing in the state of Georgia. Georgia, uh, as well as good as that state is. But even though Florida is deep there, don't know if Malik Davis comes back fully healthy. He got late, hurt late in the season against Georgia uh, when he hurt his knee there. So is he fully healthy when the season starts? But, you know, Pierce and Scarlett, you know, of course, Florida gets Scarlett back. They're kind of the same running back a, a little bit, uh, I think. So that may hurt Pierce's uh, ability to get on the field too. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how much Dan Mullen rotates backs early. Uh, we know Jim McElwain had a had a, uh, a propensity of doing that uh, the last couple of years and, and shuffling running backs uh, a lot. But, you know, the running back is a spot where true freshmen really can come in and excel. And we've seen it all over the Southeastern Conference. We've seen it all over the nation. But particularly, you go to Georgia, and it seems like they have a true freshman back every year uh, that makes a mark on the field. So I think Damian Pierce – uh, is just the, the the power, the speed that he can bring. I think he's still – I'll compare him to Jordan Scarlett, but I actually like his high school tape much more than I did Jordan Scarlett's. Yeah, he's a good-looking back. I think my only problem with that is how loaded Florida appears to be at running back. But I can understand if you if, if you feel like he's a transitional talent, then, hey, man, I sure hope he's that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go – a little different here. If, if you want to talk about offense, I'm going to go Kyle Pitts. Uh, Florida really has been lacking a tight end, a guy they can count on at that position that can 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 make a difference on the seam routes. They can be an outlet, and you know, especially if they end up with Emory Jones, it sure would be great if he had a, a tight end friend to help him out there. And when he's in trouble, um, he's the first four star tight end they brought. I think since 2012, when uh, or maybe even 2011, it was. It's, it's been a while, and he's a guy that. It seemed like he flew under the radar a little bit, but he's a fairly high rated guy. Uh, I believe he's six, six foot five and a half, 235 pounds, and he's, he can impact the passing game. He's a guy that I think could come in and make a difference on offense. Man, too bad he doesn't have Greg Nord coaching him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Florida really hasn't had a tight end since Jake McGee. I mean, you know, McElwain's first year. Got to use the tight end a pretty good bit and a pretty good talent. I mean, he transferred for Virginia. Uh, he got hurt. Most champ 
uh, he, his first year he got hurt with Muschamp, right? And he got to play under McIlwain uh, for one year. And, you know, that, the tight end position was moved uh, or used a good bit with Goolsby and, and, and McGee there. And just ever since then, has it really been able to be counted on consistently? So I'd love for Kyle Pitts to come in and, and be a, a playmaker for to count on. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of his uh, playing time is going to be determined on his blocking. I know some of Florida's tight ends have struggled with blocking and the pass protection, and that's sort of been the the limiting factor. You can't put him out there if, if you're going to struggle in pass protection. So, um, you know, certainly I think a lot of guys come in from high school and 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 are really good pass catchers in that position. The question will be, um, how is he as a blocking tight end? On the defensive side of the ball, and uh, I got to call him out just because he's been on the podcast. It's going to be Amari Bernie for me. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, just uh, his size, his athleticism, and he can stick his nose in on tackles if he needs to be uh, a linebacker at some point. And he may can pack on some pounds uh, and be that guy. They can keep him in the, at, at safety if they need to, uh, move him in the box as an extra defender if they need to. He's so versatile, uh, so fast that I think, you know, he, he can fit uh, in a Todd Grantham-style defense. He can go, he can blitz if you need him to, he can run blitz, he can fill a gap um, in the run game if he has to. I really like what Amari Bernie could bring to the table in the defensive side of the ball. You took my pick. <laughs> but I'll, I'll pick another one because you're right. I, I like Bernie. I, great kid. You can uh, just extend on that. Well, he's a guy that could even grow into a, a dynamic linebacker, uh, if, especially in that, that defense. So, I mean, who knows? But, I mean, I think he's definitely got the wheels to stay in the secondary. I'm not saying that. Um, yeah. But I can't wait to see where he ends up. For me, I, who did I have to go with here? Oh, Trey Dean. You know, he's a guy that I just, from what I've seen and read and heard, he's a guy that could be a dynamic play bear, playmaker in the secondary. I'm hoping he can stay out on the corner, like we, Will and I were talking about earlier. But if, if nothing else, I think he's a guy that can help them in, in all phases at safety. And they need some depth back there. Really, they need they need the starting help at safety if they can't get that sorted out. We'll just kind of have to see how it goes in spring. But um, I believe he's coming in early, and I expect to see him on the field. I do not expect a red shirt. Uh, for me, it's David Reese. So he's the four-star linebacker, ranked 296 nationally. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Dave, Dave Reese is already on the team. Yeah, more than anything, I want both David <laughs> Reese's out there. It's too, bad, it's too bad Vern is not still in the booth because I would just love to see Vern try to figure that one out on CBS. <laughs> But uh, you know, linebacker has been an issue at Florida, especially over the last couple of years. Last year, especially trying to cover running backs out of the backfield, just got killed by John Kelly at Tennessee and some of the Kentucky backs and tight ends. Um, you know, Reese brings the ability to do some of the things that some of those outside linebackers couldn't do last year. Certainly, the defense is changing, but somebody with Reese's skills is going to be. Uh, you know, is going to be able to step in right away and help in a place where, where quite honestly, Florida doesn't have a whole lot of depth or at least not elite talent depth. And so it'll be interesting to see whether he can step in right away. I think he's one of the guys who has the ability to play right away just because of the number situation. Yeah, guys, uh, I know, you know, we've been going on for, for a little while here. And I know we had ton of information to throw into this podcast with numbers and uh, all that good stuff. And, and if there's anything we left out that you you two guys definitely want to hit on, look, I know we'll have another podcast next week. We'll talk even more about this class. Um, we'll talk – we'll see what some of the rivals did and how far to compare to FSU and Georgia and Tennessee uh, and look and other transitional classes. Look, Florida State was going through a transition. Texas A&M in the SEC with Jimbo Fisher was going through a transition. Tennessee as well. Uh, so I think you – 
some of your, your rivals and your in-conference teams were going through transition, how far they compare to those. Uh, but I know you guys had a lot of uh, info you wanted to get out there. So before we sign off, there's anything unique or whatever you guys want to hit on, uh, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, the last thing I kind of wanted to say about that um, was just that I think this was a new experience for all of us. And I, I think there were times where I forgot that today. And I know that even seasoned recruit fan, recruiting fans forgot this, is that we had that early signing day. And so Mullen wasn't looking for anywhere from 17 to 25 letters of intent to come across the facts today. He was recruiting 10 to 12 guys, and they ended up only with six. And that made it, especially the way it was stretched out throughout the day, it made it feel like it was so barren because they were sitting at two or three letters of intent to come across the facts for half the day. And when so they saw five or six guys when they had room for maybe three to four of those, when they chose to go elsewhere, it seemed like they were completely striking out. But really, they missed out on six. They added six. They had a total of 19. It's a perfectly respectable class size. You know, the numbers look pretty good. And so, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, try to separate the emotional flow and the ebbs you know, throughout the day of how that fluctuated and the morale went up and it went down and went up again, try to separate those feelings in this day from the overall effort, because the overall effort uh, shows that there were some very good things going here. There's some things to be encouraged by. Uh, there's certainly not like instant dominance and uh, there's some concerns There's some things that have got to get better in 2019. But again, for me, it's a good start and it's an incomplete grade, but in, but compared to transition classes, for now, I'm going to give it an A. That could be an F next year. It can say an A. You got to keep going. You're only as good as your last class. So we'll see what he's got. Yeah, and at the end of the day, <laughs> it's really going to be what ends up happening on the field, right? But the one thing I'd say is if you go back, I already mentioned that in 2016, Kirby Smart brought in 14 blue chips. 2017, he brought in 20. So that's really, I think, where where this has to go for Mullen. And, you know, I think to your point, Bill, you give him an incomplete for this year because this year's tied to next year, how it transitions into next year. We can certainly look at the past trends. And if you look at trends in 2003, um, you know, Florida had 11 starters come out of that class. 2006, they had 11 starters. 2012, they had 11 starters. And 2016, they had 10. So the bulk of Mullen's team is going to come from next year's class. This class is sort of hinting at what's to come next year. And I think that's a promising thing. Um, you know, it's just one of those things, like you said, you were hoping for eight faxes to come across instead of six today <laughs> yeah and they did okay and let's face it i mean it, it could be worse next year they can come out like arizona state where they like 70th or something in the nation with herm edwards out there i can't remember what it was <laughs> i don't even know where they ended up i would never understand that higher <laughs> never I, I don't even know where they ended up but you know it, it could be worse actually they, they rebounded all, all the way to 36 i guess but i mean it, you know Look, it could go anywhere from here. And so if you're a sunshine pumper, try to, you know, put the brakes on a little bit. If you're the guy that is a cliff jumper, um, you know, try to step back a little bit. It's we got to take time. Let's have a healthy debate throughout the year and and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, oh, and one last thing for me. Uh, I promised last week and forgot that I give Andrew Jeffries a shout out, man. It's one of our, our followers on Twitter and a listener, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Oh, I had I had that one on the list, too. So there we go. I totally took your shout out. <laughs> well, I took Amari Bernie from you, so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not just Andrew, but thanks to all of you who have supported us so so long now and have been listening and continue to dialogue with us, man. Absolutely. That's uh, a big part of, uh, you know, 
for partnership with Channel 4 and WJXT and hopefully get this thing out there even more. Uh, guys, one more, like a quick thought right quick. Any worry that FSU and Taggart, you know, had a, had a good finish to the day uh, and ultimately finishing in front of Florida? You know, I tweeted it out last Friday, I think. You know, it shouldn't really come as a surprise uh, looking at, you know, he – Recently, head coach at USF had relationships in the state of Florida, uh, especially in that Tampa area, was recruiting the state heavy for Oregon uh, and that class. So, you know, he already had some established relationships uh, in, in the state. And look, when we were talking about an opening uh, for the Florida head coaching position, Willie Taggart's name was brought up in most of, mostly because of his recruiting prowess um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, how he could recruit the state of Florida. So, I don't think it's you know look they're ranked eleventh in the if you, if you want to use rankings as the barometer when it's all said and done they were ranked eleventh in the twenty four seven composite Florida fourteenth so not that big of a of a difference here uh, but you know a lot of people were you know, a week or so two weeks ago when Florida State was lowly ranked a lot of people were poking fun uh, but they ended up having a, a pretty nice finish as well. They did and, and I poked fun because that was what we do but I also I believe said on the show and I know I said you know, to different people at times that they were going to hard charge and could finish above Florida. I mean, this is not a surprise. Uh, as far as where they finished, I think they had one additional blue chip, like a four-star, uh, 13 to Florida's 12, yeah. but then they had one less top 100 recruit. I mean, very comparable classes. And, and in this case, it's going to, we're going to find out who the better coach is and who the better recruiter is going forward. Because again, year two is going to tell the tale. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be concerned because you, you you need to beat your rivals. And so the fact that Florida's ahead of Tennessee is important. The fact that Tennessee's behind Florida State is important. Those things have to change. doesn't mean that, you know, the sky is falling or that Mullen's a bad recruiter or a bad coach or anything like that. But it does mean it needs to be fixed because you can't lose to Florida State every year. You've already right. now lost in year one in recruiting. I mean, yeah, it's close. But, you know, that one extra blue chip, maybe one extra starter who makes a play in a game that you're playing in a couple of years from now. So, um, you know, you need to be concerned about those things. You have to look at your, at your rivals and see how they're doing. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, it, it's uh, we'll, we'll see how it happens. Cause if you have three extra blue chips next year over the two year period, you've done better. So um, it's an, e it's an easy gap to make up. Hey, yeah. One last thing, Dave, somebody just came across Twitter. So we didn't say we're about Dory and Gerald. Do you want to comment on him before we sign off? Uh, sure. He is supposed to announce on Friday. Uh, it looks like, there is some word out there that Florida just may move on. Uh, I haven't been able to confirm that. Uh, we've just kind of been busy uh, keeping up with, with signing day and, and trying to get ready for the show and everything. So, you know, the next day or so, of course, you know, tomorrow being Thursday, try and confirm on that uh, of what's happening there. I know on Twitter he said he needs uh, uh, somebody to get Von Miller in contact with him, and Von Miller went to Texas A&M, and I know Texas a and is in the running, so – that may be something. I know he later tweeted that uh, this has been a hard decision for him, and it uh, seems like he's still thinking about it, but uh, who knows? Uh, I don't even know why he's waiting until Friday uh, and not and didn't make his decision today. So we'll see. I think somebody said he wanted to make the announcement in his hometown uh, in South Carolina, so that may have something to do with it. So, yeah, we'll see. And uh, kind of just finishing up that Florida State thought, Will, according to what you said, as long as I think you can keep it close you know, with your rivals, you keep the recruiting close, that's when coaching can start taking over. I just want to beat them at everything. Oh, yeah, I want to beat them at everything. Don't get me wrong. If I had a, yeah, if I had, if I had, if I had a choice, it would be, yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I don't really want to beat them because of their incompetence. I want to beat them because we're better, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's it's those standards of excellence that uh, Mullen keeps talking about. The standards and expectations, and the standards and expectations of Florida is you're going to win SEC t- titles and you're going to win national titles. And this class is a um, is an acceptable first step forward. I'm not sure that I'd say it's a great step forward in that path. I think it's a solid step forward, and we'll see where he goes from here. Oh, this was a fun one in a, in a roller coaster every day. I'm worn out, guys. Yeah, me too, man. I, I love National Signing Day, but man, it'll take it out of me. <laughs> yeah, not to mention to the fact as soon as I walked in the door, I just uh, my nose started running, uh, started not feeling good. So it probably, probably just the fatigue working in. <laughs> yeah, it's probably some of those uh, flu lace rags I've been mailing you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> All right, uh, Will, what you got, uh, of course, let me uh, let you plug your uh, reading reaction here. Uh, what you got going on? Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll wrap up National Signing Day uh, with your thoughts on there, too. Uh, anything else for the uh, later in the week? Yeah, so I got a National Signing Day article. It's going to drop tonight. I got to finish writing it after we're done here. And then tomorrow I'm going to be writing about uh, about what it t- wh- how far Florida is away from the national title and what recruiting can tell us about that and sort of, so sort of predicting or at least pointing towards what Mullen has to do in year two to get him towards that, get him towards that goal. Nice. And we'll uh, try and discuss that uh, on next week's uh, Gators breakdown. So you can find Bill Sykes on Twitter. You can give him a follow there at real B Sykes and we'll find him at readandreaction.com and find him on Twitter at will miles sec. Also remember you can find us on newsforjacks.com uh, where you can get all your links to SoundCloud, iTunes, Google play, YouTube for Gators breakdown. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. It's been a fun signing day. Dan Mullins first. And uh, we'll uh, be sure to, to follow all the uh, action. And we'll look for Dorian Gerald's commitment uh, on, on Friday and see what comes from there. So, guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to Gators Breakdown.